We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Yes, Mr. Dan Schneier is not here to join me. I'm Nick Filato, and I have a special guest to preview the Week 7 matchup with the Washington football team, the Redskins, the Commanders, whatever the hell they're calling themselves this day. And that is, of course, Jamal Forrest. Please plug whatever you need to, my man. And also, let's get into this because I know we have a lot to discuss. How you doing, bro? Look, I'm I'm good, Nick. It's it's a long time no speak, I feel like, man. But uh, I appreciate you having me on preview this game. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Let Tell It. I guess if you're watching the YouTube side, you see the handle um, in the, the, the name. And then also, uh, don't forget, M-U-A-L, <laughs> for those that's listening, Let Maul Tell It. Uh, Chopper Dive Podcast and also uh, SB Nation's uh, Hogs Haven site. So you can find you can find everything I do on those those few platforms right there, boss. This is the first time we're having you on, Maul. I've been on your show, I think, three times. I'm a, I'm a reoccurring guest over there, and I yeah. love doing your show, man. You guys do a great job. But let's get into it, man. I know uh, before the show, you wanted to save some comments for um, what you think is going on with the New York Giants, and we were going to just bounce some things off each other before I get into some of these questions. So let's get to it, bro. So my thing is, now, put it this way. let me. I'm going to state my opinion. I want to see how, on a scale of one and five, how close I am. To, to, to the sentiments of, of the fan base. But I, I think that uh, the, what the Giants are one in five at this point, um, but your your team is like, it's nothing you can do. Excuse me, let me be clear. It's very hard to win games when you're dealing with such a an irrational amount of injuries. Like it's, it's unusual. Um, and then you're having these injuries up front on the offensive line. Now, granted, I don't think that there was a sentiment or, or a consensus out there that the Giants offensive line was going to be something spectacular. But when you keep dealing with multiple injuries on top of injuries and depth issues and things like that, and then on top of that, your quarterback gets hurt, like you're going to run into some problems. I don't think that Daniel Jones has been perfect. Uh, clearly, like his his inconsistencies has overwhelmed him to, to this point, even before the injury has taken place. But at the same time, when you deal with so many things, and then on top of that, the schedule that you run into early on, um, I think when you look at that one and five record, it's not good right now. Y'all are probably one of the worst teams in the NFL, but at the same time, contextually speaking, I think this would be a much different story. If you're talking about a team who can, can avoid the injury bug on the offensive line, you're talking about a team who can overall like, uh, avoid the injury bug at quarterback too. Like, 
so many different things mesh, but the defensive side of the football is something where I think was always going to be hit and miss, but you have a guy that's very aggressive. And the point of being aggressive is to, to force the offense into mistakes. And um, unfortunately just things just haven't worked well, but I don't think it's a terrible football team from a, uh, an ideal standpoint. It's just, you got, you got problems. That's, that's beyond your, your circumstance right now. How far off am I? I don't think you're too far off with, with Daniel Jones. He, he always had somewhat of a, a limited ceiling, Daniel Jones, and we'll get into Sam Howell in a little bit, but I think his internal clock is just absolutely messed up at this point. I don't even think we see him this week. I think this is going to be another Tyrod Taylor game, but I think his internal clock has been rattled by the amount of pressure that he has seen. The opposing defensive coordinators are, and Jack Del Rio really said a nice, um, <laughs> I'm going to sit here and, and praise Jack Del Rio. I didn't think I was going to do that, but he set a nice precedent last season against Daniel Jones on how to play him and how to basically avoid allocating coverage towards the field side because the Giants never pay attention to the field side and shift coverage more towards the middle of the field and the boundary side. And when he did that, I think a lot of people clicked onto it. Everybody's playing top down against this offense when Daniel Jones is out there and the Giants will push the football down the field. They were last in explosive plays last season from an offensive standpoint that caught them and bit them in the rear end, as well as the injuries that you talked about, which is a perfectly great point because Andrew Thomas, we, we got one series of a healthy Andrew Thomas this season. He hurt himself on that blocked field goal that was returned for a touchdown. Giants had all this expectations coming in. They got punched in the mouth by a haymaker known as the Dallas Cowboys in week one. I think that bad taste has lingered in their mouth. And you compound that with the injuries they have had up front and the schedule. It's not the AFC South. They're playing AFC East teams. Those are real deal teams right now. All of that has bit the Giants in the rear end on the offensive side. And on the defense, I think it was just a lot of new faces. And now that those new faces have acclimated to being in New York and acclimated to Wink Martindale's system, you're starting to see it gel together. We really saw that against Josh Allen. We yeah. saw that a little bit against Miami, too. Really I know the game came. against uh, the, the Bills. Really it was, it. it was, and they were doing creative things. Like they were putting Xavier McKinney as, as a cornerback and basically right at the snap, they would cut, he would go and cover Stefan Diggs. He would take two steps back, peel off and then contain Josh Allen and then look directly for any backside crossing routes. I'd never seen them use Xavier McKinney in that type of creative manner, but the last two weeks have been somewhat anomalous for Wink Martindale. We have seen so much more too high coverage and cover four. Like a lot of just too high shells. That's not Wink Martindale. Wink Martindale is a middle of the field closed coverage team, which I expect the Giants to revert back to against a Washington team where if I'm the Giants, I'm just looking to stop Brian Robinson. I'm looking to stop Antonio Gibson and I'm looking to pressure Sam Howe, which is something that I feel like a lot of teams have done against the young quarterback so far this season. Yeah, um, you're talking about a quarterback who has surrendered or excuse me, a team who surrendered 34 sacks on the season. Um, you, you mentioned that, uh, the giants have only had five sacks coming into the game, uh, four by one person in Kayvon, but at the same time, we're talking about a team who surrendered a sack at least what four in every single game this season, Nick, like you're going to get, you're going to get yours against the, 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 the commanders this week. And I think when you think, even when you think about the last year's game, right at home, excuse me for, for Washington at home, um, and Kayvon had the strip sack on Leno's side. On, on Taylor Heineke and, and you scored. Um, I think for for Washington, obviously pass protection is going to be a major emphasis, but at the same time, you're looking at it from a Giants perspective. You're probably thinking, hey, let's get home and let's try to force some turnovers and help our offense out. Um, I, obviously that's a, a big deal for all defenses is creating turnovers and getting extra possessions for your offense, but at the same time, 
I think is going to be overemphasized this weekend. And to your point with uh, the way that Wink plays in terms of uh, how how he closes the middle of the field, that's going to be important for, for Sam too because with the pressure that's going to be up front in terms of how you dress it up, I love the way how you all uh, – you disguise your overloads or you disguise – like how you how you scheme up a gap blitz or anything like that. Um, it worked well last year. Granted, we have a new coordinator in the enemy. I don't know how he'll scheme against that one. It'll be interesting. Um, Scott Turner really basically said, "You five go out there block. God bless." <laughs> but I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know how the enemy is going to handle this. But but to that to that point though, uh, Wink has he should be coming into the game with a ton of confidence against the Commanders. Um, Sam Howe is a young guy who hasn't seen a lot to this point, but it shows every single week how he's growing and, and with the amount of sex that he's taking, he's becoming immune to it. It's also concerning because you're talking about a guy who at 34 sacks, it's, it's a matter of time. So something happens, you take, you take too many hits. That's a problem. But uh, he's a person who's been growing comfortable in this offense and even understanding that like these big kids are going to come, but I still got to make the big throw. And, and he's been showing that uh, from at least on a week to week standpoint, it's like several throws that shows that, he can get the job done for, for Washington. And that's encouraging from Washington's side. Especially if you get middle of the field closed looks. If you have that post safety, Sam Howell, he could just on his drop back, look that safety off, have a one-on-one matchup to the outside. Now, Dory Jackson yeah. and De- Deontay Banks, those are those are pretty good cornerbacks. Those are pretty good man-covering cornerbacks when the Giants do decide to run cover one, which I expect more cover one than we've seen over the previous two weeks. Although Giants came out cover one heavy against the Bills early in the game. I was a little bit surprised by that, but then they started mixing it up a little bit later on in the game. But I want to focus first on Sam Howe. He leads the league in sacks. I felt like it was just insane watching the Falcons game. I see this guy only complete. I think he dropped back 29 times, completed 14 passes, was sacked five times. I'm like, holy crap, dude. Like, What is that sack percentage? That is that is insane. You don't usually see that amount of sacks. A lot of them are Sam Howe holding on to the football. You brought up how he's not shy to push the football down the field. He has a big freaking arm too. I was impressed with how the ball jumps out of his hands, but holy crap, man, his, his proclivity to hold on to the football is just going to either get him hurt or result in losses, strip sacks, all those things. So overall, what's your impression of Sam Howe on film? And is that the biggest indictment on his game? Um, to this point, I, I think the biggest indictment is is his inability to to get rid of the football. Whether it is a throwaway, whether it is like if if you were looking at your lock. So another thing is is the fact that he does have a, a issues at times, or especially early on in his um, season, holding on to his first read. And, and his first mm. read kind of got him in trouble too, because um, I think the Bills game was the one that highlighted it the most. Obviously, with four inter- a four interception game, that's going to be it's going to stand out to anybody. But um, I think that's the biggest one that, that people really didn't see even before that. So the Denver game, the Arizona game, the Cowboys game, um, they weren't able to capitalize on what the Buffalo Bills were. And, and I think for for Sam, that was an eye-opener in terms of being able to look defenders off or even like, trust himself in the pocket to navigate through his progressions. And, and I think that's another thing when you talk about uh, his struggles uh, how he can overcome those or even grow. And, and for, for Washington, the biggest thing is trying to keep him upright. Also, like the decisions that he can make to to extend the play or get the ball to his playmakers as quickly as possible. Um, and I think that's ultimately what's going to get him in trouble. If he, if he even against uh, New York, but if he can't find a way to, 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 to shorten his internal clock in a sense of like understanding where football needs to go or even letting it rip. I think Atlanta's game, was one where you see him take five sacks against the Falcons. Um, and you wonder, like, this is a team 
matter of fact, Atlanta, Chicago, and now New York, we're talking about teams who had issues pressuring the quarterback all season. Mm. And they got home. Chicago got home five times. Like, Atlanta got home five times. I'm telling you, Chicago, New York is going to get home at least three. Like, it's, it is what it is. And, and, and I think for, for Sam, man, um, I think that is his biggest issue right now. Uh, and I think for even a long-term perspective, right, we're talking about what happened so far. But from a long-term perspective, when you think about what he can do for a team, like his positives are, are through the roof. Like he can make every throw. Um, he has multiple throwing platforms. Um, he can throw on a run. Uh, he has good touch, uh, good ball placement, right? And and he he he's shown that he can process well, but it's just inconsistent. If if you can't find a way to prevent yourself from killing drives, like that is that's going to be hard to to. It's going to be hard to win consistently in the NFL, let alone even win what seven games, eight games in the NFL. Like that's just not winning football and. In, for Washington fans, it's hard to hear that. Like, I will say for everybody that's listening, I am a fan of saying, like, there's I, I'm not gonna sit here and say like that the book is closed on his issues, but those are fatal issues. Like, people point to a Ben Roethlisberger, Nick, that a person who is who is known to hold the football too long, uh, a Brett Favre known to hold the football too long. Um, and then you think about like poor quarterbacks. Like there's others out there. I, I wish I could have done the research because I, I plan to do it for my show later on. But like there's other quarterbacks who who weren't as good as some of the people that I named Hall of Famers, right? Who aren't who who hold the football too long and aren't successful. Like there's always brackets and caliber of quarterbacks who do it. And for Sam, man, you haven't reached the, the 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 pinnacle yet. You're not at the bottom, but you have to find a way to eliminate that so you can continue to progress and. For Sam, I think that's that's his biggest thing, man. You got to find a way to be better. How much of the sacks? Because again, he leads the league in sacks, and he also leads yeah. the league in what Pro Football Focus deems a quarterback fault sack. How much of these pressure issues fall on the feet of the offensive line? Because I, I did see the Chicago game just because it was Thursday night football, and mm -hmm. a lot of those sacks, or at least early on in the game, some of those sacks did appear to be the offensive line's fault. Where it was like Sam Howell hit his back foot, and there was someone in his face, and then at that point, I was like, how much of the this can also be attributed to the protection. And also, does Eric Bieniemy typically rely on five-man protections? And how does he use his six, seven-man protections? Are they chip and release? Do they stay in? Is that predicated on play action? What do you think about that? So I'll work uh, back to front for this one. Um, he started to implement it recently. So if you think about like the last – up in the Philly game, I think, is where it was. So like the last three weeks, really, Atlanta, he did a, a good job of, of like having those – he has six man blocking services, seven. Um, sometimes like Atlanta was the first game where I saw um the enemy utilize Trent Scott, who is uh, a backup offensive tackle, and he'll have him as the eligible. And that's kind of what Buffalo did um again against Washington's uh pass rush. Same thing that Chicago did against Washington's pass rush. It's finding ways to obviously keep their quarterback upright, give them some more time. And so you'll use that six man blocking surface with just six um the extra offensive linemen. Sometimes they'll have chip help with your tight ends. Um, sometimes you'll have chip chip help with your, your running backs. But I think what's also been able to benefit Washington lately is the fact that, like, I, I noticed that these tight ends and running backs, they're staying in a little bit longer before they get into their release. So that's helping them out in a sense as well. Um, in terms of who's more at fault and all, and all those things, like, I, I would say this. <laughs> Andrew Wiley's probably the the more problematic person on mm. the, the offensive line. Um, 
you know, his inconsistencies has been from a week to week standpoint, he struggled. Um, and, and I also think that the interior has been fine. Um, it's, it is the tackles who kind of stand out, but I also think that, um, it's, it's really been mainly one person. Like if you think about it from, from this standpoint, right, you're talking about a person and Sam Howe who's passed the ball, who's had 214 pass attempts, obviously with the 34 sacks, add more numbers in there in terms of his dropbacks. But if we're talking about a person who, so I don't have pro football focus. Obviously I follow the numbers, but you mentioned he's the more, what's the stat that you called it? The, with the quarterback stat? Yeah. It's just, yeah. They, they deem it that the pressure in the sacks fall on the fault of the quarterback. Okay. So if you look at it from that perspective, right, you have 34 sacks for, for um how, I think when you look at how Washington blocks and you're talking about 214 pass attempts plus that 34, um, it's not that many that falls on the feet of the offensive lineman. Um, you have those instances where with that many dropbacks for a team who doesn't really run the ball as much as they should, right? You, mm-hmm. you don't utilize Brian Robinson as much in the run game. Um, Chris, Ro- Chris Rodriguez, who's the rookie out of Kentucky, um, he just came back this week against Atlanta. He's been missing for a couple weeks, though they wanted to implement him much sooner, but he got sick. So he just started coming back. They don't run the ball that much. So there's a lot of onus on these offensive linemen and Sam Howe to really get the job done at pass pro. And in that instance, if you're talking about a team who's dropping back 51 times against Chicago and you gave up five sacks um, and not not breaking down the nuance of whose responsibility it was, like that's that's not a bad day. <laughs> it's really not a bad day. Same thing with it. I, I, now, Atlanta's a little bit different, but we kind of know if at this point, if, if you've been watching – um, and, and Nick, you watch the tape as well. You kind of know, like, all of that probably wasn't even on the offensive line. It's probably one that was on the offensive line. Um, and that was on guess who's side, Andrew Wiley. <laughs> it's it is what it is. So, um, for, for Washington, man, it's it's not a it's not a really good offensive line. Um, even from the ground game standpoint, we're talking about Sam Howe right now, but even from the ground game, like they struggle to get uh, a really good push up front. Um, you don't have that much push in the run game, uh, but at the at the very least in pass pro, man, they're being asked to do a lot. And and the quarterback has to do a better job while he's young and, and he has time to grow. But the quarterback has to do a better job of helping them out. So, Jamal, man, there's a discernible difference between the home road splits of Washington. The Giants right now at home, they've had two games at home and their differential is minus 61. They have three points at home because they got shut out by Dallas. And yeah, oh, I know. Geez. And then they scored three <laughs> points on Monday Night Football against Seattle. And they're like dead last in like dead, dead last in a differential on the season. I think they're like minus 96, if I'm not mistaken. And the next closest is the Patriots at minus 80. So it's really bad in the streets of New York. But on the flip side, Sam Howell is two and one on the road with the one loss being an overtime, very close overtime loss that me personally, and you can opine on this. I think Ron Rivera should have went for two. They scored last second to Jahan Dotson. You could have went for two. That's Riverboat Ron right there. So I'm not really certain what he was doing in that situation. But to reflect back on this matchup, has there been a discernible difference between Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders on the road? Their game plan, maybe it's more run specific. I'm not really sure. But I just wanted to ask you, is there any discernible difference there? No, I I think not necessarily. Um, And and the reason why I hesitated for a second, we got to remember, Nick, did Washington went down 21 3 mm. against the against the Denver Broncos. Um, you gave up a touchdown on the opening drive against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, you gave up a touchdown in your opening drive against the Philadelphia Eagles. For Washington's standpoint, the reason me bringing up those numbers 
um, just even like pointing that context out, they struggled on the road and at home. Sam Howe, on the other half, obviously, as you you notated, he's performed well on the road. He's performed better on the road. I, I just think for Washington, when you look at how they're playing, um, it's not something that's a, a scheme standpoint. I don't even think it's run game, uh, a run difference. I think Philly was a response, a, a direct response to how Buffalo game went. You got out of control pretty quickly. Um, well, I shouldn't say it like that, but um, you got away from the run game pretty quickly. And you wanted to overemphasize it to, to whichever degree Eric Bieniemy does in the past first offense. Um, you wanted to overemphasize that against Philadelphia. Um, you look at the Atlanta game. Uh, you're talking about a quarterback in Sam Howe who just operated much more efficiently. And you were able, because the run game, again, like I said, it wasn't working at first. <laughs> and and you wasn't really getting much on the ground in terms of a push from, from your offensive line. And it was hard for your running backs to even find anything on their own either. So it's not necessarily a scheme standpoint that helps these guys out. Um, it's, it's really the fact that these slow starts have killed them. Um, and uh, Denver, if Denver was any any type of good, giving up a 21-3 lead at home is embarrassing. It shouldn't have never happened. Um, there's several factors. Like Washington obviously ended up playing good. They, they actually started making more plays than the Denver Broncos, including turnovers. Philadelphia, you overcome like the poor start that you did have, and you forced a few punts to help your team ultimately take the lead at some point, right? Um, and I think that's kind of like what you look at for Washington is like overcoming slow starts. So when you look at the the Giants and, and the reason why I while I'm, I think that in theory, I don't per, I'm not personally nervous, but I do acknowledge the fact that Washington is who they they are, who they are. And the Giants have a good opportunity against the commanders because of their track record. Like these slow starts isn't immune. Like there's no difference from the road to the home games. It's just the opponent that they're playing. The Denver Broncos suck. <laughs> like it's, and we know that now. But I'm saying yeah. in week two, the Denver Broncos, like you don't give that up. But they did. And in Philadelphia, you're talking about a team in your division. After you just got embarrassed at home against the Buffalo Bills, you gonna you gonna show up and, and you're gonna try to take this dub uh, uh, and get your get on the mark against a, a divisional opponent. So for Washington, um, I really like the 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 opportunity that they have. I'm confident in in the sense of like you shouldn't lose to this team because of their 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 injuries and what I outlined when we started our show or your show, my bad. But <laughs> but um our conversation. But I think that when you look at all those factors, it shouldn't be a difference for Washington. But if you're talking about a team with a slow start and a track record of a slow start, and the fact that uh Wink Markendale is who he is, I have I have respect for him. That's that's kind of where everything kind of starts to get mixy. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Giants have a good chance, especially early on, to establish some type of lead to try to get Washington out of their game plan. I find that the cat and mouse game between Eric Bieniemy and Wink Martindale, I think it's going to be fun to watch because the Giants, man, they last two weeks, they've hardly run any base personnel, which kind of plays into their hand. I think their nickel and sub packages are much better than the personnel that they have out there in base, but you got to match personnel to personnel, right? And the personnel yeah. package, the base personnel, for the Giants, it's it's a five-man front. You have three defensive linemen, two edges. Teams like the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the 49ers, they have exploited the Giants through quick passing concepts over the middle of the field versus the Giants' base personnel. I expect more base this week, as I said at the top of the show, from New York. Expect more middle-of-the-field closed looks against Washington. But Washington runs 11 personnel at a 79% rate. That's going to be matched by nickel. 
But when they do choose to run 12 personnel, how often do they pass out of 12 personnel and how effective has Sam Howell been in the quick game? Um, so the run pass, the run pass split numbers, I, I wouldn't have, but I, I think that for Washington, um, what's been different this year is how they use their third year tight end, John Bates. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of Cole Turner. I think that he can do a lot in this offense. Um, unfortunately things have dwindled down for him over the past couple of weeks, uh, maybe three or four weeks to be exact, which is terrible and unfortunate for him. Um, Logan Thomas has come back, but to that point, uh, the 12 personnel thing, uh, John Bates have been, it's not more so like last year or yeah, last year when you had Brian Robinson in the game, for example, um, you kind of knew where, where the ball was going. It was going on the ground. It wasn't really, it wasn't a play action. It wasn't a pass to Brian Robinson. It wasn't him in pass protection. He was getting the football and that kind of made things a little bit more easier for defenders. Um, and a defensive coordinator. Uh, but when you look at this year and, and their ability to uh, feature Brian Robinson as a, a good pass catcher near the line of scrimmage or even in the screen game, but also with John Bates, who a person who's known for his blocking, but mm-hmm. they're trusting a little bit more in the pass game. Uh, that's where things can kind of open up for the enemy side. And maybe like Scott Turner just didn't want to emphasize some people in the, in, the, in in terms of the pass game and just wanted to use certain people like strictly. I don't know, but the enemy has done a good job of um, trusting Bates, John Bates, um, and has done a really good job of featuring Brian Robinson in the past game. And I think that kind of opens up how you do things. And also, like, um, uh, when you dress up like the 11, well, let me answer the quick pass thing first. For Sam, I think one of his things early on was was hurting him was that he wasn't getting the ball out. Again, we circle back to that too quick, too quickly. And some things were there for him, but he'll pass up on it. Like the window uh, is probably something that he wouldn't trust. Um, there's also some times where uh, I remember looking at some tape and uh, maybe he took his initial read based on whether he's doing, because the enemy does his pre-snap motions to help this quarterback out. And and sometimes uh, maybe Sam takes the wrong read in terms of which side he needs to look at first. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I don't, I'm not, in the, I'm not in the room, but when you look at his side <laughs> or sometimes he looks at one side and it's, it's uncovered uh, or excuse me, it's covered. And, and now he doesn't know what to do with the football. Um, and, and that could be an indication of him not processing the the coverage. Right. And that should have took him to the other side based on where, how the mm-hmm. defense shifted. So like there's several different layers to it, but it all stemmed on Sam Howe and his inexperience. Um, Sam has gotten much better over the past couple of weeks. And I would start, honestly, it would really start at um at the the Eagles game, so like things have really worked worked out well. It's unfortunate how the Bears game went, so like there's a a gray area there, or maybe even just a let's skip over that week because like you, you're down seventeen <laughs> three before the before the game even starts for Washington. Um, but but Philly and and even the Atlanta game, like things really worked out well for Sam in terms of the quick game. So like from a progressional standpoint, you kind of see how he's able to adapt and whatever coaching coaching um, tips he's been getting from the enemy along the way. And even the quarterbacks coach as well. Um, I don't know exactly what they are, but you see that he's been able to, to learn as the weeks go on. Um, he's still going to freeze in some instances. Right. And that's where I think for, for, for New York, that's kind of y'all, y'all opportunity to, to disguise your coverages, but also like even show different. I, I love what, what y'all did against Washington last year. Like, 
that it was it was it was really it was so efficient it was it was one of the more efficient things washington obviously won some of their fair share of battles but i think the way y'all were able to create create pressure and even get free men and even leonard williams i'm excuse me um dexter lawrence in positions to have his one-on-ones in the interior right he wrecked games he wrecked games that both games for washington against um when, when we played the giants i think that's kind of where those instances you see like how a quick game can be affected especially if sam doesn't really know where to go to ball initially so um, it's been a struggle, but he's also been able to improve over the past couple of weeks. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So do other sports as well. 
It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. There are few things better in the world than kicking back, watching some football, and biting into some delicious Little Caesars pizza. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Old world pepperoni, pepperoni, extra cheese, Italian sausage, olives, onions, pineapple if you're into that. Put it on half the pie, the entire pie. There are so many other options that I don't have time to name. Slap that on a round crust, a thin crust, a stuffed crust, a Detroit style deep dish. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, Everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. We are brought to you today by Manscaped, who has taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil in trouble. Manscaped's all-new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, The Handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and use code BIGBLUE for 20% off plus free shipping. And for all my wolfmen out there, yo, shout out. If you got a little bit more scruff on your face, Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths all with one guard, so no more drawers full of extra add-ons collecting cobwebs and is very annoying to organize. There's no trick with this treat. Manscaped has you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGBLUE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BIGBLUE. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. Are you too busy this fall to cook? I know I am. Between watching all this mediocre tape, DFS, pumpkin picking, whatever other fall activity I have to do, it's just plain tough to find a time to cook. That's why I'm so happy I found Factor. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. And if you head to factormeals.com slash bigbluebanter50 and use code bigbluebanter50, you'll get 50% off. That's some cash savings right there. So again, head to factormeals.com slash bigbluebanter50 to get 50% off your factor dude i absolutely love wink martindale when he can get into second and long and third and long situations and we haven't really even gotten to see that maximized right now because isaiah simmons is one of our sub package linebackers and they use him as a spy they drop him from 
the line of scrimmage to a middle of the field close post safety look. They'll obviously bring him on the blitz. He oh, did wow. get flipped over last week by the Buffalo tackle, like literally did a front flip when he tried to dip low and went around the edge. It didn't work for him on that play, but you're right, man. Creating the free rushers is something that Wink Martindale prides himself on, just loading the line of scrimmage and getting after the protection package. So I wanted to ask you real quick, just on the uh, offensive coordinator point, how has Eric Bieniemy done through six games as an offensive coordinator for Sam Al? Man, that's that's a, another another good question. Um, it's been a it's been a learning period. Um, it's been a it's been a learning uh, point, and I think one of our from a from a outsider's perspective, one of the biggest questions for as the season's gone along, one of the biggest questions for Eric is like, how is he going to be able to protect Sam? Right. And I'm glad you asked about even the protection, right? How, how, how things have changed in terms of what they're doing to help him out. That's a byproduct of Eric the enemy understanding like Sam is, look, we got to operate this offense, man. We got to find a way we're, we're going to run our plays, but how can I help Sam out? So let's go ahead and do like these, these misdirections beyond the line of scrimmage. Let's go ahead and get these chip blockers in. I don't care what routes you run, get that chip in. I don't care like if we if we get a, a extra offensive tackle in. I hope they continue to do that moving forward with Trent Scott, right? Um, or if Charles Leno ends up coming back this week, end up doing it with Cornelius Lucas, who replaced Charles Leno. Um, like find ways to help Sam out, move the pocket a little bit, give him like those half read or those half half field throws and things like that. Um, and and for for Washington. Uh, that was kind of one of the the easier learning experiences for Bianami is finding ways to to help Sam out. Um, and, and from our fan base standpoint, they still don't think it's working, but like he's trying. Like Bianami's trying. <laughs> he's, he's he's doesn't doesn't mean that everything's gonna work right now. Like he he even acknowledged that in his pressure today that this is he's young. Like you got to give him time, but I'm a, I'm gonna be here every step of the way to to, to teach him. Um, and help him, but I can't answer for Sam. Like Sam has to be able to show mm-hmm. that he can overcome this. So for for that from that as from that aspect, the enemy understands what he can do to help Sam, right? But then from a play, you, did you have something? No, I didn't. Okay, no. I'm gonna say from a play call standpoint, um, you, you look at kind of how uh, I think that one of the the other things is how you feature your running backs, um. And that was probably one of my other bigger things with the enemy. Um, his his structures, like his his play call, like how you're able to utilize your Terry McLaurin's and your Jahan Dotson's and even Curtis Samuel, who has been able to stretch the field on all three levels now, um, which has been a little bit different compared to Scott Turner, who who did the third level throws with Curtis very rarely, but now you're seeing uh slot fade slot fades from mm. Curtis Samuel. You're starting to see first level opportunities from Curtis. You're starting to see some of the same routes that's interchangeable between Jahan, Terry, and using it with Curtis now. And, and like the trust is growing from that aspect. Um, Logan Thomas is is crazy because I'm admittedly acknowledging here, like I still, <laughs> I'm not that big a fan of Logan Thomas. I'm a, I, I've I've stuck by that. Um, but at the same time, the offense moves when he's in the off when he's when he's on the field, and, and I gotta respect that. Right. But but also think that Cole Turner is a little bit more dynamic. Um, mm. But like they're finding ways in terms of the enemy, um, his route concepts, how he's putting things together uh, is it's working for Sam. And, and I think from a cover standpoint, he'll have to learn whatever that is, like in terms of processing and understanding 
<clears throat> the throw windows and how much time you have to deliver those. Um, but but he's done a really good job. I, I just think the the run game is something that's that's most important for for Sam, but also this offense trying to figure out what can work and what can work consistently. Because if you're not utilizing Brian Robinson uh, in in both the run and pass game, and not just the pass game, you're doing your offense a disservice. So you got to figure out what what works well on the ground game, like duo, inside zone, outside zone, or maybe maybe you don't trust these guys at all. But I doubt that's I doubt that's the case. Just got to find a way what works. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about GH counter and counter Trey and plays like that because <laughs> Scott Turner ran that like crazy against the Giants last year, and the Giants just couldn't fit it at all. One other interesting point, too, Maul, that I want to bring up. I don't know anything about Travell Wharton or where Travell Wharton, the offensive line coach of Washington, comes from, but I know the run game coordinator for the Washington Commanders is Juan Castillo, who was with the mm -hmm. Buffalo Bills when Brian Dable was there. So you have crossover with Brian Dable and Juan Castillo. You also have crossover with Mike Kafka, and Eric B enemy. And it's just interesting to me because last week the Giants had a ton of crossover with Joe Shane and Brian Dable against the Buffalo Bills. And I believe Brian Dable had somewhat of an edge on the Buffalo offense and the knowledge that he had on the protection package of what Ken Dorsey was employing. I think he relayed that to Wink Martindale and was able to generate a lot of pressures. So that was just like something I wanted to to acknowledge because it was uh it's it's fun crossover but i wanted to ask you how much counter are, are you guys running this year because i think that's what you guys should run against the giants base personnel well look if there's anything that that the enemy could do is i mean look there's you don't have that many differences outside of nick gates um and wiley you don't have that many differences up front in terms of like who washington employed against the the same defensive line from last year against the new york giants so you can look back at last year's tape and see what worked well. In terms of the enemy, you can see what worked well and what didn't. Um, in terms of counters this year, um, that's a good question. Again, I, I haven't really like done a count on it. They've run it, but I think one of the, the bigger things that that's has me scratching my head is like how effective the run game is out of the out of the backfield, and or should I say how ineffective it is. Um, I don't know what it is like in terms of like the the, the first steps for the running backs, but something looks off between the handoff and the, the running back. I, I can't, I, I don't have like the technical terms for that one, but something's off and it slows them up in the backfield. Just in addition to, to the, the running, the offensive line that I mentioned, not be able to get a push up front. Um, like the shotgun handoffs are something that they need to work on. Um, like the, the pulling linemen. Um, I don't think that when you look at uh, Washington's power game or even counter uh, to an extent, um, it's, is no significant difference from what you're able to do. Like, and that's kind of part of the problem. Like figuring out what works well with this unit is, is hard. Um, like their biggest run, I believe is, I would say like less than biggest run on the ground is probably less than, um, around 20 something, 20 something yards. I don't think it's been like a, a, a any big gain significantly on the ground. And, um, I think everything has been hard, maybe like 22 yards, I want to say, probably like 22. Um, but to that point, and, and back to the to the run game, just figuring out what works. It, counter, I don't have an exact number. I don't know how much they run. Um, it would make sense for them to go back into the well and see what works out, especially when you have Sam Cosme still, uh, Charles Leno, um, and you, you have Sadiq Charles, who's had some reps against the Giants. But this is a, a team who uh, functions, so it seems, somewhat 
in like the inside zone for Brian Robinson's side, not the offensive line, but from, from Brian Robinson and even Chris Rodriguez, like those one cut playing goals, like seeing able being able to read that um and, and, and hit him between those the the tackles, like that works well for those two. But um you got to find a way to to merge it, man. I think that's probably one of their biggest concerns right now. Like while they're kind of efficient on the ground in terms of their yards per carry, they don't run enough. Um and they got to figure something out. Yeah, you guys are third in pass rate, which is wild. I don't think you ran the yeah. football once against Chicago in the second half, yeah, which was understandable due to the score to, to some degree. They abandoned it, man. That's and yeah. that's where I'm like to that point. Like it is really I haven't seen all I understand pass first, right? And I understand yeah. the enemy, like when you're going from a team that was run dominant to a team that's now being pass dominant, it's gonna be a transition, it's gonna be new to your eyes. But I'm telling you, like, I don't I just don't get like the inability to establish the ground game let alone uh i understand like the quick game is something like an extension of the run game i don't disagree with that but if you can't even if you can't get two three yards if you can't get three to four yards consistently like it's a problem and you're not even yeah. trying at that like that's kind of where my head is stuck at like you're not you're not even trying so like when you ask about counter i i can't give you the numbers but i can tell you what's not working counter like <laughs> it's not working so that's, that's music to rough, the, man that's music to the giants fans ears because that's been a problem for the giants since this new coaching staff has arrived but ron rivera is this old school you know smash mouth defensive minded head coach i have to imagine that he wants eric the enemy to be running the football more you guys are third in pass rate which is insane hey you want to talk about ron Rivera, nick yeah, let's get into it. Before we get into the defense, let's go into Ron Rivera. We're gonna end on that, but let's do it. Yeah. Um, look, man, Ron has Ron has tapped out um yeah. in terms of like his his actual emphasis or input on a on on the, the offense. Um, I think with Scott Turner, uh, we gotta remember that Scott came from Carolina as the quarterback's coach, if not like an assistant or something like that, right? He wasn't necessarily the offensive coordinator, that was his dad's job. Um, in terms of Norv Turner. And um, when you when you have a position in, in in Scott who is clearly inexperienced when he got the job and hasn't really grown as he's as the years have come along, right? Um or, or grown from a, a visual standpoint, like actual success from a statistic standpoint, efficiency standpoint, um, you're gonna be able to have much more say as Ron Rivera. Like Scott doesn't have tenure. Right. Um, he's also inexperienced. And for, for Ron in the situation who is facing uh, a potential termination because of new ownership, because of his circumstances, because of the fact that this team hasn't been able to win under him consistently, let alone even have a winning record. Um, you get Eric Bienemy in here who has tenure, who has two Super Bowl reigns in the last four years, who coached Patrick Mahomes, like who's under Andy Reid. We're going to go ahead and let you do your job. I'll go ahead and dip my hands in on the defense. Um, and to your original question, I'm sure Ron would love for them to emphasize uh, the run game and feature it and use. I mean, they even said it in their in their end of season presser, um, even though it was it was BS. Right. Like who runs the ball two to one times in the NFL nowadays? Like that doesn't happen. Um, and for him, I'm sure he wants to do it. But at the same time. Um, he kind of knows that that wasn't going to be even close to being feasible, but also you're talking about a, a person, Eric Bienemy, who comes from a certain, a particular background. 
Um, so stay out the way. Uh, while he may hint, hey, let's try and milk the clock here. That doesn't mean let's run it every single drive. Um, or excuse me, every single play on this drive. Um, so for 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 Ron and for for the enemy, their dynamic is interesting. Um, he even, I mean, I, I'm sure to this point, what week seven, you all remember how Ron made this this un, don't throw him under the bus unintentionally. I'm not going, I put it on him, but he, he threw the enemy under the bus about people complaining about his offense um, and trying to figure things out. So, like, I'm sure that there's a, a, a dynamic that they're working on to, to build together and grow together, but he ain't going to touch his offense. He ain't going to touch mm-hmm. his offense at all. It's interesting, man, because we have seen a few Ron Rivera gaffes, like public gaffes over the last two years. I think it was last year. He he didn't realize at a press conference or something that that the Washington commanders were eliminated and a reporter broached him about it. And he was like, wait, we're elim-. and like, it was just such like a, a bad, a, just really bad look on the organization, but he's also really important because he's the bridge from the previous Dan Schneider organization, not Schneider for the listeners of the Big Blue Banter <laughs> podcast, Schneider to the new ownership. So it is just a very um, wild dynamic because I think he's an important figure for Washington, but at the same time, everyone, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, everyone within Washington and who loves the commanders, they know it's not like a long-term thing. Like like the the end game here for me, if I'm a Washington fan, is Ron, we're going to let you retire and then we'll give you like a front office position. And it will be like one of those types of instances, right? Like he's definitely not going to get fired mid-season. That, that I don't think would happen to a, to a public figure like Ron Rivera. Do you think that's accurate? Well, but it pays, Josh. Um, Josh Harris, um, this is you got it. First off, he got fired in Carolina. <laughs> like he got he got fired in Carolina when I think Tepper is his name that took over oh, yeah. uh, new ownership in 2019. Um, I think for for Ron, now I may be giving Josh Harris too much credit. We know that he's a he, he's from the area, he's from he's a fan of Washington. So in theory, you should have a a working understanding of what Ron Rivera has been able to do over the past three years. And um, his track record over the past three years has been a team in a head coach who started one in five, two and six, two and five Oof. to start his career. I'm mean, excuse me, to start their seasons in Washington. Yeah. So you're three and three. You were on a three game losing streak. Right. So it could have got worse if you lost, if you found a way to lose to Atlanta. Um, but point being right. If you find ways to lose this year to the point where it gets ugly, like sure, he can he can very much get fired in season. Um, but from a standpoint of like the you mentioned some 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 important things. Um, he is the 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 bridge to from from Dan and to this current regime. He he kind of knows the workings, he kind of knows situation where like uh I can like he even matter of fact, even another thing, a preseason interview that he had. Like if if they end up winning a I don't he was like, I don't mind if I get fired because or, or if I am not here next year, because if if this team ends up winning a Super Bowl a year or two from now, I feel vindicated. Like he feels vindicated because he brought half the players here. But if you think about it, Nick, let me ask you this question. That's part of, this is part of the point. Name in your opinion. Whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't even matter. In your opinion, who are the four best? Let's do five best Washington commanders like on the roster. Who are they right now? 
Five best Washington commanders, Terry McLaurin, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. Shit, man. Montez Sweat. I love Cameron Curl. He's up there. Okay. Um, That's five right there. You can yeah, stop if you want right to. There. Okay. Yeah, I'll stop. That's cool. Four of them are from the previous regime. Yep. None of these guys are Ron Rivera. Cam Curl is. None of these guys are Ron Rivera. And, and I think for... That, and that's why I wanted to ask you because I, I kind of knew the answer already. Like I was cheating, <laughs> but, but my point, <laughs> my point to that is, is like adding to the the fact that he's had poor free agency draft. He had four poor free agency classes, poor draft classes. Cameron Curl is one of the better defenders and better draft picks that he's had. Right? Um, there is <laughs> Nick the draft class of twenty twenty three. Except excluding Emmanuel Forbes, heading into the Falcons game, only had I think six or seven snaps on the season. We were the entire <laughs> the entire draft class. It's crazy. And, and and when you look at 2022, um, like you're still waiting for things to pop off there. Same thing with 21. Same thing with 20. Like it's it's not that it's not that strong. Like Chase Young is a huge question mark, and it's not from a standpoint of talent. Like. This year, I thought he's been playing pretty good. He hasn't been able to close on as many opportunities that he needs to in order to stay. Like, if you want to stay here and you want to get your bread, you got to close on some sacks. Like, he missed two opportunities against the Falcons to rack up on two sacks. He wasn't able to close on those. And that's been a case since he's been back as well. But from an explosive standpoint, from a burst standpoint, his quickness, right? Um, His hand usage has improved, right? But all those things are good. But that's your biggest and your most important pick of your your tenure ron and that's a question mark and you're not being able to speak confidently enough in them throughout the throughout your pressures because you know if if you tell your god's honest truth it may blow up to be something out of proportion from the media um and and i think that's kind of like those problematic things emmanuel forbes you benched him and it's nothing like i i get it if he ain't playing well in the season where you have to win do what you gotta do but you benched your first round pick you benched your first round pick from a perspective standpoint, Christian Gonzalez was still on the board, mm-hmm. right? Now, again, I'm not one of those people who do things like that in terms of saying you should have picked this person. But from a pers- perspective, those are things that people are going to look at. And you have to find a way to make these guys work, man. And, and for a long time, Quan Martin, who just saw the field against Atlanta, right? He wasn't playing for the first four. He wasn't playing a defensive snap. He's your second round pick, Nick. Like played these seven are, snaps this season, and they yes, were all against Atlanta. That's all it. against Atlanta. And guess not what? He had, a, he had a hell of a game for for seven, just for seven snaps. Like I'm not going to like very small sample size. Let's acknowledge that. But he played well, and, and I think and he made two he made two impact plays. Like would have been a strip sack in his first career game if it wasn't for Cody Barton um, roughing the passer. Like that's kind of those things. But to the to the larger point, like there's why, and this is why I brought it up. Front office role. If you look at his track record, what makes you confident? Like from an ownership standpoint, what makes you confident that you can bring him onto your front office role and think that he's gonna make the right decisions? <laughs> yeah, it's not Come a lot. On. It would only be for optics. It wouldn't be like, hey, you're gonna be the general manager. But it's also kind of weird, man, because if you look at the the organization, everybody is brought here, not just the players, but the personnel. Marty Herney is your guy's general manager. Yeah, yeah he, he was brought here. The answers to Ron, exactly. Like everybody is intertwined and surrounding Ron Rivera, who, who uh, obviously is. comes from a. It's just a. It is. It is a fascinating situation. It's you a brought mess. up a lot. 
It's a mess too, but it is a, it's not as big of a mess as it was maybe a year or two ago, if we can agree on that. So yes. at least it's trending in the right direction. And you brought up, I love Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin. And I, I have a couple of the questions on offense, but since we're here, I want to talk about this. Emmanuel Forbes, I haven't looked through his tape. Hasn't been that bad. I've seen him lose. Some of the times I've seen him lose, it just seems like he's over aggressive and he's about like an inch away from making a play on the football and he just misses it. And that's obviously an issue. And then the Quan Martin thing, you kind of already touched on it. Like, what the hell are they doing? Is this just like that geriatric old coach mindset of we're not going to play our rookies? Is that what's kind of permeating around Washington right now? Um, For Quan, his issues was actually his issues were in the preseason. I guess they lost confidence in him from a standpoint of what they can do with him early on. So for him, it was easy to avoid being benched because you had Cam Curl, you had Derek mm. Forrest, you had Percy Butler, who was in his second year. He was a rookie last year. So you had um, people in front of Quan and, and Jeremy Reeves, excuse me, who, I mean, he's lost on a year, at least as far as we know, unconfirmed, but rumors are he's going to be out for the year with a knee injury. Um, but you had people in front of Quan to where you can kind of ease him in slowly onto this defense. And until we think that he's from a coaching standpoint, until we think that he's ready to get on the field. But at the same time, his issues in preseason, um, leverage problems um but also just looking uh playing his play speed like it was just looking too fast for him even in preseason so they they knew after i think it was two games that they kind of had to dial it back with him emmanuel forbes um now i wasn't at the baltimore scrimmage so this is this is more so from based on reports and i'll talk about what i've seen but from reports some of the issues that you're even seeing now uh track back all the way to the baltimore uh, scrimmages, uh, the team scrimmages in, I think, week two or week three of the preseason. And he was having issues in terms of his leverage, but also, like, his competitiveness from, like, the actual one-on-one standpoints. Like, they were seeing some of the flaws in his game. Um, and that's kind of where things popped up into reporters' heads. Like, oh, I don't know what this is, but this don't look good. And in the regular season, I think what's, what's actually crazy is, like, Emmanuel Forbes has been up and down, right, but there's been a lot of um, – like one of the bigger games, obviously, was the, the Philadelphia Eagles game, right? And I think this is going to be an easier example. I think statistically he had given up nine catches for 190-something yards. I'm not sure. I may be wrong. But, like, Nick, if you watch the game, some of those – you're talking about a person who's playing off coverage – and you're having your receiver run a two, three-yard hitch, and he gets an easy seven or maybe eight because you're 12 yards off the ball. And I'm sure that has nothing to do with Emmanuel Forbes uh, deciding he's going to play off coverage. It's probably what the coordinator calls and what it, it dictates in that situation and, and where you have to be on your, in terms of your alignment and your sticks and, and the stick awareness. So, like, I think for for some instances like that, right, you're talking about a talking about hitches, you're talking about slants, some some yardage that doesn't really show what he was responsible for, but because a stat tells you that's who the catch was on, you get yards like that. That's no disagreement. It's just context. The other thing is his technique. Sometimes he allows. Now, the, that's one of the biggest things for the coaches. They're asking him to, to play a certain technique. They're not specific in terms of what they're asking for, so you won't catch me trying to predict what it is. But I will say from a, from from watching him, like he has this thing where like he doesn't really defend his inside leverage as hard as he should be. 
Like he's not, he's not, he, he's very more, um, you mentioned aggressive. I agree with that. Like once he sees that first move, he's biting on it. Uh, whether it's that stem where he, he breaks inside for a post route. Right. And he's like, all right, I see the post. I'm going for it. Or if he sees that out route, I see the out. I'm going for it or slip up the sideline, something like that. Like he's very aggressive in that, in that mindset, but like he does some things. Well, um, he, he's very good sometimes in his, sometimes in his transitions, um, in and out of breaks. Uh, he understands the route tree. That's for sure. Um, and he understands like the pressure or maybe the call up front and how it marries to how he can break on the football, similar to Kendall Fuller. Um, and it's one of the reasons why Kendall got that pick against the Atlanta game. Like they have similar things, especially when they're in zone, but they're asking him to do much more than he's re- than what he's really good at right now. And that's kind of what gets in the way uh, from a coverage standpoint. The other side is that man makes too many business decisions in tackling. Um, mm-hmm. He's not the best tackler. He's not interested. And you can't really trust a guy like that either. If yeah. you have him on your defense, because like they're just going to try you every single game and, and any chance that they get. So that's the main thing, too. I, I think that's the main thing is like you you can't be trusted on the field right now. You got to You got to take a take a step to the side. Look at the sideline. Look from the sideline and see how these guys are playing without you. Such a liability if you can't be trusted. You just run crack toss at him, pull an offensive tackle towards him. It's like you do that to any cornerback, you're screwed. But if you could just run stretch and have him be the secondary force, he's screwed if a wide receiver like an AJ Brown or even a Devonta Smith can take care of you blocking. Two plays. Um in your free time and, and anybody that's listening, two plays in particular. Go to um the DeAndre Swift touchdown uh in the first the first half of the Eagles Commanders game. You'll you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, completely like he knows where his gaps is. He knows where his gap is, but he doesn't want to meet DeAndre Swift in the hole. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And then there's a, a second, a second one. It's the Chicago Bears where they run a quarterback counter, and they have a. Now, granted, that's it's not his fault. He's 175, 180 pounds, but it's one on one against a, a pulling lineman, and he just takes on the block and, and and gets himself cleared out instead of trying to make a play, like taking it. I don't know, like going low, trying to chop, get the defense, get the offensive lineman down to help you help your the 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 run support. I don't know, but you'll see it. Two plays, quarterback counter against um Justin Fields, the Bears, and a DeAndre Swift touchdown at the goal line against the Philadelphia Eagles. That'll kind of highlight some some instances where he really just is it's a liability. Is the Bears one the one where the offensive lineman just flattened him and he was yes. just like yes. sprawled out on the oh, geez, yes. that's a rough that's always a rough yes. look. Yeah, now, and I was like, it's hard to like he's 175 pounds. You can't be too mad at it, but it's like show show some uh what's the word? Um some savvy. Like you you you're out there, you gotta find a way. And and I you survived four years or three, three, four years in the SEC. Like there's a way to get these guys down or maybe even make a play around it and i'm not saying that it was going to be successful but let's see something like just mm-hmm. don't don't sit there flat-footed and take the block on and get put on your ass like put on your butt like that i don't know yeah, if we can you, cuss it yeah you can you can cuss okay. it you can cuss all it. right man your first time yeah. on the show you know <laughs> yes all yes and you're doing great man thank you so much and i know you're being gracious with your time right now i got a couple more questions i want to throw at you real quick man hey what the hell is going on with Jahan dotson and how have the commanders fan felt about Nick Gates. He was a fan favorite here in New York. So what are your opinions of those two players? I like the Jahan Dawson question. Uh, Jahan, matter of fact, let me put him at the wrong job. Jahan is uh, right now tied second in targets, right? Um, 17 catches though, 140 yards. So 
His cash percentage is really low. Um, I think this one is a long story short, or excuse me, even a short story altogether. Uh, Nick, I, I think this is more so just circumstance. Um, and this offense to be enemy, one of the reasons that that actually works in or that actually stands out in terms of Benny and what he wants to do is like, is nobody that he necessarily features. Now, I don't know. I, that, that could be a con in terms of like the pro con thing, the, the chart. Uh, you, you may want to do something more with Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dawson, may want to feature them. But um, he, he has made it a point seven, six weeks in that he's going to spread the football around. And that's exactly what he's done. Um, Sam Howe has grown to, to know Terry and, and, and trust him a lot. And that's why he's 42. He has 42 targets on the team. And that's 11 more than Jahan, um, again, who is second. But point being, Jahan is still second in targets. There's there's no excuse for having just one target and one in, in a game for, for a person that talented. Um, but I think when you have a, a as two bad drops as he's had since he's since this season has started and only six weeks into the season, um, you know, your lack of impact is going to actually stand out. Um, I, I do think for the commanders fans who, who may be tuning in as well, or like you like people forget that he also had the game tying touchdown against the Philadelphia Eagles. Like he still has made an impact for these guys, right? But but I think the opportunities for him in terms of like the quarterbacks having bad passes, um, maybe the, the timing between him and um Sam Howell isn't there just yet. Uh, sometimes you have uh, passes that that just goes over his head or again, he has two drops on the season. Um, so like the other targets are made or maybe just throwaways near him. Like there's there's several different avenues to my point in, in which Jahan necessarily isn't making impact plays. Um, but also he hasn't really had that much of an open space yet either um, to, to really shake and, and, and get some yards after catch. So um, those positions or those those opportunities aren't there yet. But as the offense opens up down the season, like the opportunities, the targets are still going to be there. They're finding ways to get them to, 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 to utilize them. It's just like, they got to connect. Um, They, they got to connect. And, and in terms of uh, Nick Gates, I think from a fan base standpoint, that the biggest thing that they, they like is the fact that the man is animated. He's a character. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I, I get it. I respect it. He, he really stands up for his, his teammates and, and specifically Sam Howell, right? Like he's in every he's in every single fight. Uh, anytime okay. somebody does too much against uh one of his friend or his teammates, specifically Sam again, he's right there. Um, but I think Nick, from a play standpoint, I thought he's been really good, man. Um, he struggles sometimes against power, but I I, I know like center position altogether, you know, it's not going to be easy when you have a guy like right over top of your hat, like especially a guy who's three hundred thirty pounds or three hundred twenty pounds. It's not always going to be looking easy in that instance, right? But um, I think from a standpoint of being able to get the protection calls right, him and Sam is working in unison to that. I don't know the, the actual share, but like everything has been well from that standpoint. Um, he's had some moments lately where he's uh given up some 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 untimely beats. Um, I would look at I think it was the Bears game. Where it's like yeah. a third and one where he's getting demolished at the snap of a football and in a situation where you can't afford to lose, right? A third and one and, and the play is over before, before the, before the, the running back even gets the handoff. Um, and then there's some instances in, in the, the Atlanta game that, that wasn't too great as well, but it's like very few reps, but ultimately like, I think he's been a solid player. 
Uh, I mentioned like that interior altogether. I know you want to know about Nick, but the interior altogether has been fine. Nick has been fine. Um, but when you go against a guy like Leonard Williams and, and Dexter Lawrence this week, like Sam Howe's going to, I'm excuse Sam Howe, Sam Cosby's going to have some problems. Um, Nick Gates is definitely going to have some problems. Um, and Sadiq Charles will probably have some fits too. But yeah, it's that's probably one of the ones where it's like, I know, and I really like Dexter Lawrence. Um, and I and I really like Leonard Williams as well. Both of them, both of them are presumed active, right? They're gonna be active yes. Sunday. Yes. Yeah, that's that's gonna be a matchup right there. Like we we talk about how much we like our interior, but the interior hadn't got tested until they played um the Philadelphia Eagles, and they did okay that week, but now they have another matchup and some dogs up front with with Dexter and um uh what's his name um Leonard yeah yeah Dexter Lawrence is an absolute beast he hasn't have a sack yet this season people are like where the hell is oh, he but I, yeah like, I know dude he, it's like he eats he's he, gonna get his work he eats and I think he's gonna eat against Washington I like Nick Gates a lot Nick Gates used to struggle against Washington every year against Jonathan Allen and it's more specifically Deron Payne and I think he's gonna have a lot of problems with Dexter Lawrence I'm interested to see how the enemy attempts to mask that because holy crap man if you allow Dexter Lawrence to pin his ears back and go it's it's really bad. And I got one more quick question before we get into predictions, if you're so inclined. And it's just um, your guys' run defense. I think you guys had an 18.5% success rate, or you forced an 18.5% success rate against the Atlanta Falcons, who, you know, that's the pinnacle of a running football team. Yeah. That's really good. So your run defense is sound, and you're going up against a Giants team who wants to run the football, who more than likely wants to run it to set up the play-action pass. They got Saquon Barkley back. They're ecstatic about that. Why exactly, or how exactly, has Jack Del Rio's run defense uh, been so successful? Is it just because of the personnel or is it something that he's doing from a scheme standpoint? I guess Atlanta it was scheme. Um, that was probably the most that they ran their five man front, um, all season. Like they use it, um, every single week, but this week, this week was probably the most. Um, I think what, what really worked well is, um, you're looking at Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, who, had one of their better games of the season, specifically Jonathan Allen. Um, now, not to say he's been playing poorly, but um, he, he's looked a lot. He's looked sluggish this year, and I don't know what I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know what was going on with John. Right? He's he's made his plays here and there because he's John Allen. But you know, like from an intensity standpoint, when you look at a Deron Payne, right, and you see somebody in Deron who can <laughs> that man can can get a tackle for loss beating one of your best uh guards in the in the in NFL right now on the Atlanta Falcons and then stonewalling the fullback on the same play putting him on his ass and, and making the play on the tackle I mean on the running back like that is a person who played at an intense level every single week um that doesn't mean it you know what I'm saying he still has some of his losses but at the same time you don't see that from John Allen this year um, not to question his effort is more so like yeah. you. We know we've seen uh, a higher intense intensity from John Allen. Uh, but point being, when you're talking about the scheme, right? The single package really worked out well for them. Um, you had everybody up front from Chase Young to the two tackles I mentioned to John Ridgeway and even um Montez Sweat and Casey Tuhill and James Smith Williams. Literally, Nick, all of them had one of their best games of the season against Atlanta which was really good to see. But also what really helped out there uh, from the, the the front standpoint is seeing Cody Barton on the second level have moments where he can get in the mix untouched, right? He's a person who I don't have, I, I don't hold in high regard. He's 
like when he, when he takes on those those climbing linemen, his first step is backwards. Like he takes himself out to play before he can even <laughs> get involved. And I'm like, I'm like, bro, like, like I, I've seen Jamin Davis take so much um, uh, pride and in, and in, in strides in terms of how he's able to take on blocks from the from the second level, uh, the the climbing linemen. Like he's been able to see things much much better. His hat placement has been much better, um, especially when he's scraping and, and meeting those those pulling linemen or even the 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 wham blockers. Um, I think that his how he's been able to develop has been so impressive. So when you see a guy, when you see Cody Barton play, it's like, I thank God he had a week like Atlanta, like to, to help him reset. Cause he was charged up. He knew he had a good game. Um, but in the end, Nick, um, I, I think uh, it was a scheme thing. The five man front really helped these guys. They were also very gap. Dis- they were disciplined in their gaps, uh, gap integrity, excuse me. Um, and, and they found ways to make plays up front. They're, they're, it's kind of crazy that you mentioned like how good is their run defense, but like their defense it surprisingly has been not good at all this year. And that even includes the run game. So for them to have one of their best games against Atlanta, like it shows you how good they can be, but they just don't do it. They, yeah, selfish play. I don't Consistently know. Consistently unconsistent, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy because it goes from all three levels. Like, and a side note, you mentioned Emmanuel Forbes early on, and that's one thing that I did want to bring up. Like, from a fan base standpoint or people who's even observing Emmanuel, it's like, where the safety help? Like, these guys, Percy Butler's young, and but he's still out there to a, to a larger point to where he can be exposed to his flaws. He gets lost a lot in the backfield, having his eyes in the backfield, his alignment isn't always right in terms of where he's supposed to be on hash marks and things like that. Right, you're talking about Derek Forrest, who is out of position at times as well. Percy, but excuse me, Cameron Curl, who's who's had a lot more snaps and reps as one of the split safeties now. Like he still plays in the box as their Buffalo nickel, but he's had a lot more reps as your two, uh, one of your one of your single or excuse me, um, your split safeties. And sometimes he's not in position, so it's like there's so many different things going on that can help your cornerbacks out. Where it's like it looks like it's all on these guys. But if the safeties play better, like it's supposed to work as a tandem. And and like there's so many different things going on with this defense. So when you think about the run game, all three levels are effective. I mean, excuse me, are, are ineffective more more times than not. But Atlanta, you play one of your better games, and that's that's really good. All righty, let's get quickly, if you would like to, dive into some predictions. Now, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it, Maul, but let's uh let's see let, let's see what your predictions are for, for this week seven matchup. Um, okay, so I, I'll, I'll be quick with mine, man. I, I mentioned early that I think that Washington is a position where um, they should be expected to win. Um, it's too many injuries up front for the Giants where uh, I would say um, offensively you can – excuse me, defensively you can hold these guys to um, under – around 20 points. I'm not going to say under. Like around 20 points, you should be able to move the ball, right? So I'm, I'm, looking, at a, I'm looking at a team in Washington where you're, you're probably winning – um 21 13 21 let's say 21 14 eat two touchdowns 21 14 all right 21 14 man very plain but also like realistic in a sense of i think your defense from from the giants they're gonna have they're gonna have something to say about this game i think they will as well last week i had the giants losing huge now they lost but they were much more respectable. I don't even know who the quarterback is going to be. I'm imagining it's going to be Tyrod. So I'm actually going to go with the New York Giants winning this football game 19-17, to just like a, 
a weird lot of field goals from Graham Gano, not a lot of efficient offense, defense rising to the occasion type of battle. Maybe the Giants hit an explosive play uh, against a, a mishap by Jack Del Rio's unit. So that's where I'm going to roll with 1917 New York Giants. But Maul, man, please tell the audience where they can find you. Thank you so much for joining us and let everyone know where they can get you on Twitter. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Um, Trapper Dive Podcast is on YouTube and all your streaming platform or podcast streaming platforms as well. So you can find us on there uh, if you want to hear some of your uh, your insider information with <laughs> with the commanders uh, for the next the next game, the next the rematch. So that's about it, man. Appreciate you, Nick, as always. Yeah, I appreciate you, too. And now we'll roll to prize picks. That was an excellent interview with Jamal Forrest over there, the Trap and Dive podcast. Go check that out. Jamal and I go way back. Another Scouting Academy alum. Love his X's and O's takes, so please go follow him on Twitter. Let's get into prize picks. We'll jump right into this right now. There's not a ton of options for the New York Giants with the uncertainty surrounding the quarterback position. As I said through the podcast, it appears like it's going to be Terod Taylor, but I'm not certain about that. I'm not a doctor. So let's roll with what we have here. Sam Howell less than 230 and a half passing yards. I get it. Sam Howell can uncork the football. He can get a huge chunk gain. I think the Giants defense, though, is starting to gel together. We saw the 10 million man himself, Bobby Okereke, really start to come into his own over the last two weeks. I think Dexter Lawrence is going to get fed. I think Kayvon is going to get fed. The Giants are going to have to apply the pressure like they've been doing all season. They only have five sacks. Like I said on the podcast, it ranks dead last. I think that's going to change this week. I think the Giants are going to get home against Sam Howell. If Eric Bieniemy and that offense decides to drop back at a disproportionate rate relative to the game script that's going on. So I feel like they should run the football more. I think they're going to run the football just a little bit more. I think this is going to be a slower game. I predicted 1917 New York Giants, a lot of field goals from Graham Godot. I wish he was a line that we could put into this equation, but he is not on the website right now. The only lines for the New York Giants are Darius Slayton, Saquon Barkley, and then Jamie Gillen, which is the next one I am going to take, and that is Jamie Gillen, less than four and a half punts. He had four the last two weeks against better defenses than the Washington football team, and I get there's some context there because the Giants got down on the one-yard line twice, and they didn't punch it in. Regardless of that fact, I think this game is going to be played more so in the midfield, resulting in more field goal attempts for Graham Gano. I could see Gillen getting to four punts. I, I don't necessarily see him getting to five, so I'm going to go less than four and a half punts from Jamie Gillen. And then Darius Slayton, more than 32 and a half receiving yards. Look, he had two 30-yard catches, 30-yard-plus catches last week against the Buffalo Bills with the slot fade from Tyrod Taylor. I think whenever Washington is in the middle of the field close, if they can confirm man coverage, if they like the matchup with Darius Slayton against the slot cornerback or whoever Washington rolls out there, it could be Quan Martin for all we know. I know he played that at Illinois when he was in college. I think they'll take that shot with Darius Slayton. So 32 and a half receiving yards. I'm going to go more with Darius Slayton. Look, you could be a coward like I typically am and flex play this. I might power play this, but $20 in, you get $100 for Sam Howell, less than 230 and a half passing yards. Jimmy Gillen, less than four and a half punts. And Darius Slayton, more than 32 and a half receiving yards. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this prize pick segment. And also the Big Blue Banter podcast. Please, if you have not done so 
already. Like, subscribe, comment on the podcast. If you're on the YouTube, please hit that subscribe button, like, leave a comment, tell me I'm ugly. I don't care. That's great for the algorithm. It moves us on up and we appreciate that regardless. And also, please, if you have not done this already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get the podcast and got a game, a winnable game ahead of us for the New York Giants. Let's see if they can actually secure that win, make it the second of the season. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a lovely day. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.